On this episode of Reliterated, we can show you a world shining, shimmering, splendid, where there's no one to tell you no, or where to go, or say you can't kill children. Stranded on a remote, uninhabited island, a group of boys must work together against starvation, dehydration, and a mysterious beastie to survive and find rescue. Or they could just succumb to their primal urges to slack off, mutilate the local wildlife, and bully each other to death faster than you can say, sucks to your ass, Mar. They are unsupervised children, and boys will be boys, after all. Let's swat our way through Lord of the Flies on Reliterated, the only podcast to assemble its hosts with the blow of a conch. Or is it conch? Ah, well. Welcome to Reliterated, the lowbrow book club of grown-ass adults reading the children's books popular in the 1990s, but with 2020s hindsight. Fair warning, we use language too mature for kids, analysis too immature for literary scholars, and ignorance too profound to be inoffensive to everyone. We also talk about our books in depth, and that includes spoilers and all those plot details that you will get by reading the book. So. Before you listen, if you're not familiar with the story, prepare to have it spoiled for you. My name's Andy. I'm Harold. And I'm Josh. And how do we decide who goes first? Do we have to do we um who gets who gets to talk? What we should have some sort of uh indicator as to whose turn it is to speak. Yes, now at this late stage in our podcasting, we should decide what to do. If only we had a tool. You know mm. what? I like think a- we know how I'll speak. <laughs> Ooh, he has the slide we whistle. We, we will listen to him. <laughs> I vote he he is our leader. There we go. Yep. <laughs> Whoever holds the slide whistle gets to gets to be the speaker, which is going to be tough. You guys are going to have to get slide whistles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I have this uh, this bottle of Sprite here. I can just. When I want to speak, <laughs> <laughs> blow into it. <laughs> that would be a terrible podcast if every every time the speaker changes, we had to make a noise like that. <laughs> Especially if we all wanted to speak at the same time, it'd just be a bunch of. <laughs> <laughs> it would it would descend into anarchy and madness. <laughs> We'd accidentally create a song. <laughs> this might be the first time some people have heard our the slide whistle because. Uh... It was used in episodes that we are no longer allowed to have. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, we yep. we can't do the the adventure ones anymore. The mythical lost episodes. Yes. Mm-hmm. That we will be forever talking about ambiguously. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Bruce is still super sad because one of them was his favorite of our episodes. It was oh, also one of my favorites. So, mm-hmm. well, if you want to listen to these episodes, just uh, share us a message. We'll see what we can do for you. <clears throat> yep. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> speaking of descent into anarchy and madness, welcome to our episode on Lord of the Flies, everyone. Yes. Ah, uh, yes, the episode that Harold and I joked about never doing. And then we ended up doing it. <laughs> What's funny is that from the beginning, that was one of the initial things that Josh and I talked about when we were originally coming up with this idea was that we would every week say, 
And next week, we're going to cover Lord of the Flies. And then the next <laughs> week, we were going to cover something else and never cover Lord of the Flies. Ah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. we're like, we yeah, kind of have to at some point. <laughs> now, apparently, you guys didn't really like this book. This is one of my all-time favorite books, and I enjoyed it as much this time as I did the times before that I've read it. I remember distinctly reading it in 10th grade and thinking, okay, that was a book. And now I read it this time, I'm like, oh, fuck this book. I do not like a lot of what's going on in it. I don't think that that's how it would go. Eh, You know, that's just my opinion. But again, it was a different time period, so maybe the lead in their systems would fuck them up a little bit. I don't know. Man, and I feel like you're thinking of it from the from the viewpoint of an adult thinking of childhood as opposed to how children make decisions. Well, I will tell you about a little bit later about an actual group of kids who did get stranded on an island and, well, they didn't kill each other, so that's awesome. <laughs> Good for that group of kids because there are groups of adults that get stranded on islands that probably kill each other. <laughs> <laughs> While naked and running around afraid, but then they're found by these people that are just partying down the beach like a mile. <laughs> <laughs> is that how episodes of Naked and Afraid go sometimes? Usually. <laughs> they try to kill each other. <laughs> no, but I do remember specifically there was an episode where this guy and this this woman were out. They were like in a cave and she was having a really hard time. She was becoming malnutrition and dehydrated. And he snuck to the producer's camp and snuck in and stole some food and water from them and brought it back to the camp, and they got kicked off for doing that. Was that one of the group ones? No, I don't think it was a group one. I think it was just the two of them on that island, because he came back for a group one. He came back to get redemption, and he fucked something up or he quit. I can't remember. Anyways, in Naked and Afraid, yes, you're out there alone for the most part, but obviously there's a camera crew, so that camera crew's got a camp nearby. There's medics. You know, it's not like... Oh, yeah, there's obviously... They have insurance, and they have to... Do what's important. And I'm sure that the knowledge that people are going to see their actions has a lot of influence in what they actually do, too. (laughs) Uh, Maybe, but I think that at some point, like, honestly, that's why I think we disagree on, on what people might do in the situation in this book is because, like, sometimes people go out there and they do really well with it and they do okay with the fact that they're... They're malnutrition, they're dehydrated, they're working their asses off for very little payback, and they make it all the way to the end, and they, they keep their cool, and maybe only, like, have a couple breakdowns. And then there are people who, like, 10 days in, break down so bad that they're screaming at each other, and one will quit, or both will quit, or they'll get tapped out because they just can't go any further, so... It really depends on the episode. It's a great show, honestly. It's one of the oh, yeah. I love less drama-filled reality shows, and it's because you watch people. They get there that first day. They're gung-ho. They're like, fuck yeah, let's go do this. And like six days in, they're like, I want to eat like a single fucking egg or something. You know, like just <laughs> give me a glass of water that doesn't have elephant poop in it. You know, like... While I think I would agree that not everything would happen the way it happens here, a lot of the stuff, I don't know, feels feels right to me. Well, I do think a lot of it has to do with the author himself because of what he went through. Because William Golding, he was born on September 19th, 1911. He was a 
Novelist, playwright, and poet. Of course, his most famous was Lord of the Flies, but he wrote 12 novels over his life, and he actually won the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1983. And he won the Booker Prize for The Rites of Passage in 19... Also in 1983. That book, what the Booker Award is, is it's a book published in English and released in the Isles, like the UK or something. And that's all you have to do to qualify for this. Mm. So that That's it. Happened for that book, yeah, for the Booker <laughs> Prize. And he was knighted in 1988 for his literary contributions. But as a young man, he basically was yeah, a writer. He he was writing until the war and then he went to during World War II, he was part he was part of Normandy as well as taking down the Bismarck. He was part of that battle as well. And because of it, they talked about <clears throat> how he was prone to depression and uh, he was very cynical. He was an alcoholic. And at the nice ripe age of about 15, he attempted to rape a woman. So there's that. But that wasn't found out until 2009. Well, then, you know, I mean, that's... Statute of limitations, Josh. He tried to rape somebody. <laughs> I know, that's awful. <laughs> that's fucking awful. So, but, yeah, and, yeah, basically, alcoholism plagued him his entire life. He was very, he he only wrote 12 novels. We've talked about these people who've written, you know, hundreds of books. And, yeah, just 12. And yet he freaking won the Nobel Prize. I just, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. But... <laughs> We have these authors who have written 200 novels and such, and they just get like, yeah, they did some stuff in wars and wrote some books, and that was it. And this yeah, guy I mean, has he, all these This guy things. writes 12 books, and he gets a, a knighthood. <laughs> he gets right. a Nobel Prize. Well, I mean, between the three of us, we've written, you know, something, stuff. <laughs> half we've a, written half stuff. a book? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've written stuff. I mean, we, we definitely could judge him for sure. <laughs> <laughs> What's for the status his... on your book that you're writing, Harold? Oh, man. Uh, I... Took a new position at work, and I've been fucking killing myself at it, so I have not been sitting down to write it, but I was writing the Bob's Your Uncle tonight, and I'm like, you know what? I really need to sit back down and get back into that again. Yeah, this writing thing is a good feeling. Yeah, it is. It does feel good. I So I, I'm locked in at somewhere somewhere between 20 and 25,000 words at this point, which is pretty decent, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going from there. Awesome. I, of course, have not started mine. <laughs> Yeah, but no, it was pretty impressive, his uh, military career in World War II. He's played a pretty big part in it, actually, the, in the uh, the Royal Navy of England. Yeah, when for uh, skipping ahead to the end of the book, he based that officer on what he had seen in World War II. Well, and I mm. think that, again, like, so somebody who's been through all these things, and especially with the fact that, I mean, first off, the time and the complete ignoring of mental health in every regard, you know, up until I would say fairly recently, we've been ignoring mental health. So oh, we're still ignoring mental health. We're still ignoring it, but it's giving, it's becoming more of a thing that we can talk about. I mean, I was talking with someone today that's like almost 50 and we were chit chatting about stuff and he's kind of like me where he's like ADHD and he, he noted that he does these things and someone had pointed it out to him one time and he was like, okay, well, I guess I'm doing things the right way is ADHD then. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so it's just, it, I think that, yeah, yeah, all that has to be taken into consideration. 
by no means should anyone ever be made okay for attempting to rape anyone. No, but I mean, as far as like his way he looks at these kids and how they did things. I mean, he saw stuff that the three of us have never seen. We've oh, never yeah. seen mm-hmm. atrocities of humankind it, it first person like that, you know? So, you know, yeah, it's a little hard uh, to determine where he w- his mind would be when he was writing something like this book. Yeah. And Lord of the Flies uh, was first published in 1954, which means that he was writing it like on the heels of uh, him coming out of World War II. Mm-hmm. I read something where he saw his kids playing playing war. And then he was like, you know what? I bet you I can write a book about what actually would happen if kids went and got stranded and played war. What would actually happen? And I think that's where... Huh. Yeah, that that was I, just a little now, snippet I read. So. <laughs> well, I listened to the audiobook where it was read by the author and uh-huh. before before that there was like a little preface of him talking about the history of the book and he he said that he was like sitting at like a bonfire, a campfire uh, talking with his wife and he just kind of had the idea, you know what? I bet I could write a book about kids about a bunch of young boys stranded on an island and what and what they might do. And that he just did it. <laughs> hey, that's that's who gets shit done is when they just do it after they say, I think I could. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I do have this one quote uh, from him that I thought was very uh, telling, basically. He says, I've always understood the Nazis because I am of that sort by nature. Not that he is against, you know, what the Nazis stood for. He's just talking about the darkness in his heart, which is a big right. theme in this book. So, mm-hmm. but uh, to to wrap up, William Golding passed away on June nineteenth, nineteen ninety three, at the age of eighty one, and he oh, was man. buried in England, where he was born and raised. So, another author we can't have on the show unless we do a séance. Son of a bitch. <laughs> we should do a séance and uh, try to get um, Houdini to show up. <laughs> <laughs> he literally was just debunking that. That's all he did was debunk those. Wouldn't it be messed up if we got Houdini to show up? <laughs> yeah, well, so Houdini did not believe in uh, the paranormal at all. He's a uh, man yeah. of my own heart. And he actually, he would go and try to... Uh, expose people who were doing seances and everything. So he'd find the little levers and the knobs and the strings that people would use to make things happen. Cause that used to be a big deal. People would go to a place for a seance, but they'd mm-hmm. have like little, little levers or, or pedals on the ground. They could step on that would make a fire light up or that would make uh. candles fall over. And then they would tell people, Oh, the spirit is here. The spirit is here. And so he would go and debunk that. And before he died, he gave his wife, uh, some secret messages and he said if you were able to bring me about at a at a seance I would only say these things and <laughs> that's how you do it yeah and so she spent the rest of her life going to seances and trying to get them to talk to Houdini and no one ever said even close to what he said to her so you know, he was basically mm. saying, like, it's just, it's not real. It's all fake. Yeah, spiritualism was very big at that time, and they did seances and things like that. There's a really good dollop about it. 
<laughs> Everything that Houdini did was practical. He was an escape artist, and when he was a magician, he knew that it was about tricking people. He knew that it was about bullshitting people. Uh, you know, uh, the amazing Randy is someone I really like. He's actually got a million dollar prize out there for anybody who can actually prove they're psychic. They have telekinesis. They have any kind of paranormal power. If they can prove it without being able to use their own things, like they can't bring their own spoons to bend. You know what I mean? They've got to use his spoons. So like that way, if they can prove it, he'll give them a million dollars. No one has ever claimed the prize. And it's been it's been available for like 30 or 40 years. So that he's kind of like in the vein of Houdini in that respect. Like he's like, he tells people when he comes out to do a magic show, he goes, I'm about to lie to you. Everything that happens up here is a lie, but it will look completely true. That's a good magician to me. But yeah. So we're now we're on to seances. Yeah. <laughs> Which has nothing to do with. Uh... Hey, I didn't start this rant. Okay. The, I said okay, Houdini. So, <laughs> do you think the amazing Randy has an Uncle Bob? Uh, I don't, but we all have an Uncle Bob. Well, I have an Uncle Bob. Well, would you, I have two would you say Bobs. that Bob's our uncle? I would say Bob's our uncle, and he wants to tell us all about this story. All right. Well, Uncle Bob, tell us about Lord of the Flies by William Golding now. Very good. A plane carrying British schoolboys is shot down during a war. We begin by meeting Ralph and a heavyset boy. After a bit of conversation, the heavyset boy reveals that kids back home called him Piggy. He was mistaken in thinking Ralph would be nicer because from then on, this is what he is called. Piggy is full of good ideas that go unheeded by Ralph until they find a cock shell and blow it, summoning boys from all over the island. The small kids are called Littleins, the big kids are called Biggins. The last group to make their appearance is a choir group led by a boy that fancies himself a military leader named Jack. When they are introducing themselves, Ralph coldly gives everyone the mean name of Piggy for his first acquaintance, and this sets the tone for how seriously people take the heavyset kid for the rest of the book. They do well enough to come up with plans like making a signal fire in shelters. They make a fire using Piggy's glasses, but it goes wild and burns out quickly. They come up with a plan to keep the fire under control and burning, but often the kids will forego their duty and the fire goes out, causing them to not have a signal when the first ship they see passes. Ralph becomes increasingly irritated because no one will work on the shelters that they all planned on making early on. Jack sees the fire and shelters as secondary, as he and his group of the choir have coined themselves hunters and have been tracking the island's pigs through the woods. See, in this story, we get to learn about the diarrhea everyone is experiencing due to eating too much fruit. Eventually, Jack and the hunters manage to get a pig, which causes a hint of bloodlust in Jack. Hunting becomes his only goal. One night, a pair of twins called Sam and Eric are sleeping on Firewatch when some planes are fighting above the island. Unbeknownst to the kids, the planes blow up and a dead man parachutes down to the island, landing on the Signal Fire Mountain. This wakes Sam and Eric, who believe it is the monster everyone has feared in the dark. When Ralph and Jack investigate, they see the parachute filled with air and mistake it for some ape creature. Jack tries to take the position of chief from Ralph by calling him a coward, but it doesn't work, and so he leaves the camp taking his hunters. Ralph tries to get his group to rebuild the signal fire on the beach, but many of the kids end up going to Jack's group because it's not very fun to do boring work like getting a signal fire going or building shelters. The hunters kill a large sow and spike its head on a, 
on a double sharpened stick as an offering to the beast. Simon is one of the choir kids and he's kind of odd throughout the book and he's clearly having hallucinations from malnutrition and he sees a vision while he's staring at the pig's head covered in flies and basically the pig is saying we wanted to have fun here this is what we should be doing nothing is as it seems and when he runs away from it at some point he falls in front of the beast and realizes it's just a man in a parachute and decides he needs to go and tell all the other kids well during this jack's group is cooking up the big sow that they killed and they're sharing it but jack is making it very clear to the other kids that you know there's a payment for me sharing this with you. Like you owe me for this. And, uh, they all start chanting, uh, kill the beast, cut his throat, spill his blood. And as they're doing this, a storm is brewing around them. And Simon comes bursting out of the foliage to warn them about that. But the kids are in a frenzy at this point and they end up beating and biting and tearing and stabbing. And they end up killing Simon on the beach, which the kids all see him as a beast. Uh, so then the storm kicks up, the parachute fills with air, it flies towards the beach, all the kids freak out, run away, and Piggy and Ralph start battling with the fact that they killed Simon. Uh, Jack and his group end up coming in the night, and they steal Piggy's glasses in, in the conch, and so when Piggy and Ralph go back to get it from them... Uh, the Jack's group has this big rock set up that they can like lever down with a, uh, a log. And as they're all fighting and getting irritated and riled up, uh, they end up pushing this rock down and it knocks piggy off a cliff and he falls down, bashes his head on the rocks and he dies. And so Ralph runs away into the woods and tries to hide and they end up setting a fire to the woods to try and get him out of there. And as Ralph makes his escape, he ends up on the beach at the feet of a Navy man who saw the fire and he is simply just disappointed in the British boys for not keeping it together and having a stiff upper lip while they were on this island for what I'm assuming is months because they all grow long hair. Uh, so the boys found rescue, but not before losing what makes them human. And Bob's your uncle. That's Lord of the Flies. Very well done. I did not mention early on in that part about the beast that they saw at the beginning, because another little boy dies as well. A little boy with a birthmark on his face, uh, ends up dying in the (laughs) woods alone. And he was the first one that brought up the beast. Uh, somebody said perhaps they were on the island for two months at most. Man, I just saw, I don't know what William Golding knows about kids and how long their hair grows, but (laughs) (laughs) it sure, by the time it gets like halfway through the book, I'm imagining these kids with hair down past their shoulders, the way they're explaining it. Like, they're like, oh, we got to tie our hair back in ponytails and shit. Well, plus how long was their hair to begin with? That's so, true. That's true. I don't know the styles of the 50s. I don't know if it was long or Pretty sure it was what. short hair, though. I mean, I'm pretty sure short hair was a big thing for boys for the longest time in the 1900s. Well, I mean, so was wearing hats, and we don't wear hats now. Right. Mm. But I digress. But, Andy, you were going to say? Yes. <laughs> First of all, I can tell that this is a good book. 
and that William Golding is a really good author of classic literature because he writes in a style that's so like indirect that I don't exactly know that a thing is happening when it's happening. Like, and I'm left guessing if it's actually happening. Because <laughs> uh, there were plot points in there that I'm like, okay, I guess that's what th- that part was saying. Like, I didn't, I didn't even pick up on the fact that like the wind carried the the paratrooper away and scared them all. Literally, however how that ended. I will take this point right now to actually read the excerpt that I wanted to read because this is what I wanted to say about the whole imagery of everything that happened when Simon was killed. Because I actually forgot that Simon was killed. I remembered Piggy being killed, but I forgot about the Simon part. And right, this the first part of- time. Uh, oh, one, one real quick first before you do that. The first time I read this, I was in like eleventh grade, maybe senior year of high school. Uh, whatever we read it in uh, AP English class, and I don't think I even it even registered with me that Simon was killed, <laughs> and I I picked up on it this time around now that I'm in my thirties, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, he writes in a lot of symbolism and indirect talk that you need a lot of brain power to to decipher. So obviously, this is a good book because I don't get it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I it's... didn't get it in eleventh grade AP English. So for for me, it was this whole point where they're saying, uh, kill the beast, cut his throat, spill his blood, do him in. And they're all freaking out. And then Simon comes out of the foliage and he's like, oh, there's a man on the on the mountain or the parachute. And it even says, you know, he was saying something about a body on the hill, you know, uh-huh. but then this this part right here specifically. The beast struggled forward, broke the ring, and fell over the steep edge of the rock to the sand by the water. At once, the crowd surged after it, poured down the rock, and leapt onto the beast, screamed, stuck, bit, tore. There were no words and no movements but the tearing of teeth and claws. Then the clouds opened and let down the rain like a waterfall. The water bounded from the mountaintop, tore leaves and branches from the trees, poured like a cold shower over the struggling heap of sand. Presently, the heap broke up and figures staggered away. Only the beast lay still, a few yards from the sea. Even in the rain, they could see how small a beast it was, and already its blood was staining the sand. Now a great wind blew the rain sideways, cascading the water from the forest trees. On the mountaintop, the parachute filled and moved. The figure slid, rose to its feet, spun, swayed down through a vastness of wet air and trod with ungainly feet the tops of high trees. Falling, still falling, it sank toward the beach, and the boys rushed, screaming into the darkness. The parachute took the figure forward, furrowing the lagoon, and bumped it over the reef and out to sea. Like, I fucking, I read that part like four times. Because I just, I was, I don't know, I really liked it. I thought that it really kind of gave this frenzied idea. The kids were in this frenzied moment where... Mm-hmm. And in the moment, Simon is the beast. And he, that's yeah. how it's written, is the beast burst out of the bushes. Yeah. But it was actually Simon, without yep. saying that it was Simon. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> like and you have they, to get the, the, the inner context. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I thought that was, that was really cool. Like I was, I couldn't remember what happens with the, the guy with the parachute. I remembered it was a guy with a parachute as I was reading it. And then like, as it like got to that part, I just thought like, what would, you know, I'm guessing that like Ralph and the other kids are probably like 12, 13, maybe, but I think even maybe that, younger. That age, that age yeah. three. Yeah. Yeah. 11, 12, 13. And the other kids are, are much younger. So like if Bruce, 
or Xander or something was seeing this stuff happen in the dark with no adults around, it would be some mystical beast, right? And and even if you're 12 or 13, now you're alone, there are no adults around. Sure, you don't believe in that stuff anymore, but seeing is believing. So you see something and now without actually investigating any further, you've decided it's that. It's a monster of some kind. Holy shit, they are real. Mom and dad were wrong. You know? Right. Also, the, the, the group voted on it and yeah, beasts exist. Ghosts exist. So. Yep. Yep. <laughs> So I don't know. I, I really thought that all of that was, was pretty good. Like the imagery that he puts throughout the book, I, I enjoyed it because it felt more tactile and it mixed scenic imagery with action imagery of what people were doing and, and explaining how people were moving through the woods or ca- crawling through the creepers. And to me, I could see kids going that way. Could I see kids? Doing just fine and not killing each other and not becoming this? Sure. But I think that it gets laid out right from the get when you see Jack coming. Jack is the catalyst for a lot of the violence. He's Mm -hmm. confident. He's already somebody who's technically in charge. You know, he's the leader of the choir. Yeah, he's head boy. Yeah. So they're already predisposed to listen to him. And if he's a psychopath... He could definitely get those other kids to follow in that footstep. And you know he's got no soul because he's a ginger. Right. He's also redheaded, so definitely (laughs) no soul. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Why don't they jump on him about that? They jumped on Piggy. Oh, because he's not fat. That's right. English people hate fat people. We've learned this. (laughs) Also, he wasn't introduced as Piggy. (laughs) I I felt like because they never give Piggy's name. They no, don't. they never do. They never get his name. They do not give him a name. And I think that as much as we could sit here and be like, oh, that's kind of like Raw Dahl and how much he hates fat kids. And oh, William Golding obviously hates fat kids. I don't feel like that was the message he was portraying. I feel like what he was portraying is kids are so mean sometimes that they didn't even take the time to actually know what his real name was. Even Ralph, the nicer of the kids, called him Piggy and they used him as a butt of a joke. Yeah, and then Piggy kind of complains about it to to Ralph, and instead of being a good leader, he's just, well, better better Piggy than Fatty, right. he said at last, with the directness of genuine leadership. That's yeah. one Even of though he's favorite he, phrases. He's not a great leader to begin with. The only reason they picked him is because he found a conch, and he didn't even find it. Piggy gave it to him. <laughs> Yeah, he was one of the, he was one of the bigger kids, and he was responsible for them all getting together by blowing the conch. Mm-hmm. So, yep. And I think that in kid kid mind, that can be enough. You know, I mean, it's definitely presented as such here. Yeah, but I almost even think that whole part, like him saying he said with the directness of of genuine leadership, to me, that's a sarcastic comment. Oh like yeah, I, for sure. It's definitely sarcasm coming from Golding there. So Ralph isn't the most, uh, he's not the kindest, he's not the uh, most redeemable uh, type of person. He's not exactly the kind of person that we can get behind. He's kind of presented as such, but he's definitely flawed, definitely not perfect, and definitely not suited for the role he's in. Not at all. At least not effective. No. Honestly, one of the only kids you can get behind is Piggy. See, I don't like him either because he's just, oh, he's fucking annoying. He's just a whiner. Yeah, he just whines. He's meant to be like that. If he was 
being taken seriously because he comes up with good ideas. He's thinking smartly about how they should be conducting themselves. And mm-hmm. throughout the whole thing, no one wants to listen to him. So what does he come off as? He comes off as he's just whining and there's no one there to back him up. So and say, hey, yeah, yeah Piggy's got a point. So even the reader were like, oh, Piggy's just a whiny little baby. And but he's not. He's honestly like, we need to get food. We need to start a fire. We need to build shelters. We need mm-hmm. to make plans, and no one wants to do any of that. They all just want to be like, hey, there's no adults. We can fucking do whatever we want now. Well, that's him and Ralph anyway, because Ralph also is that he's trying to get people to do it. But yeah, they're just they don't want to do it. They're just obsessed with what they want. So Jack wants the pig. Uh, Roger is a psychopath, so he wants to kill. Doesn't matter what it is. He just wants to kill something. And Simon is crazy. He's like the only character I actually kind of liked. But we didn't yeah, even talk about necessarily the- crazy. He's he's the like the spiritual kind of guy. The uh, I don't know how how else I would describe him. But well, he's definitely hallucinating when he's talking to the Lord <laughs> of the Flies. So right, I feel like I feel like Simon has some kind of undiagnosed mental illness that's not realized in. Maybe it's something that's taken care of when he's back in society, but it's not here. You know what I mean? Like, it's not noticed. Because Simon, right from the get, he's kind of strange. He doesn't. Yeah. He def- definitely doesn't go along with the whole games of uh, being a hunting party or really the whole kind of society game, really. And that's kind of what the issue is. Like From the get, they treat this whole, oh, we could be a society kind of thing as a game that they're playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could have rules. We could hold the country we want to speak. We could divide the labor and it's going to be great. But then the game turns out to be not so much fun. And so most of the kids wind up going off on the game of being wild, savage hunting kids and only wanting to do the fun thing of uh, killing and slaughtering and dancing around a fire, eating pork, taking care of their immediate needs uh, and entertainment, I guess, but uh, not investing in the either the longevity uh, aspect of surviving on the island or the getting what they have to do to get off the island and keeping the signal fire going. That winds up being no fun. Yeah, if if they would have kept the fire going instead of going after that first pig, they would have got off the island, and none of that would have happened. The only person that would have died is the kid with the mark on his face. Right. Or possibly other littles that we didn't know about (laughs) because they never found out how many there were or anything like that. Right, right. So, well, I, I think that's kind of the point, though. Like, I I see where your irritation lies, Josh. But to me, like, that's very kid about them. They they aren't thinking of the future. They aren't trying to solve their problems. They want to solve their immediate needs. You tell a kid, "Hey, I want you to clean your room, and then you can have this thing," and they will drag their feet and him and haw and do everything else to entertain themselves, but not clean their room. Right. But then when it comes time for them to get that reward that you said you were going to give them for cleaning their room, they remember that reward. They want the reward, but they didn't want to do any of the stuff that led up to them getting that reward because they're kids. And what they need is they need hand, they need handheld guidance at times. Uh, you know, you just, you don't just know how to do those things as an adult. You're like, okay, I got responsibilities, but as a kid, you don't necessarily think like, Hey, I got these responsibilities I got to take care of. 
Right. They also need a little bit of firmness because they they talked about how not following the rules would lead to like punishment of some sort. Yeah, that was like, why they created crack them over the head or something. Yeah, but mm-hmm. they never really meted out any judgment over not following the rules. Ralph just kind of yelled at the the kids, or yelled at the others for not uh, putting their weight into. Uh, building shelters or not keeping the fire going and and whatnot. And he had no real power to mete out that discipline. So he had no real authority. And that's why they, the, it split. Cause yeah, they didn't, they didn't want to do the work. All they cared about. And they could get away with, they could get away with going off and hunting and not have to fear little Ralph and piggy come (laughs) waddling up with the conch saying, Hey, you guys. Right. I mean, and they just look at him and go, sucks to your asthmar. (laughs) That is a phrase that stuck with me ever since I first read this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Every time somebody mentions asthma, I just want to say sucks to your asthmar, but nobody tends to pick up on it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's kind of one of those things where, I mean, again, Piggy, to me, Piggy's not only, Piggy doesn't even need redemption in the story. He's... Right off the bat, he's like, hey, this is what my auntie says. He's like, an adult would do this. This is what adults think. And all the kids are just blow him off right from the get-go. And that's why I'm saying, like, yeah, he had no real power. Because the only time he even, when he would talk, they would talk over him until Ralph would go, you know, he's got the cock. And they'd be like, okay, okay, we'll listen, you know. But they never really listened to Piggy. They always kind of blew him off, even though his ideas were the only sound ideas coming from anybody. I'm not saying they shouldn't have been hunting pigs. They need food. But Jack was obsessed with hunting pigs. Well, he got bloodlust, dude. That's what that is. He felt the only thing that mattered. Yeah, his his buddy Roger, he was the true crazy one. He was the one that killed Piggy. He was the one that uh, helped kill the both pigs he i think he was part of the one that led the party to steal piggy's glasses right Mm. roger ended up being a dark motherfucker Mm. roger is was the true evil in this yeah sharpen a stick at both ends yeah yeah to to, uh to spike ralph's head on to you know and that even Mm. then like ralph doesn't get it they're like you know roger sharpened a stick on both ends and he's like why would he do that you know and it wasn't even occurring to him like that's what they did with the pig they stuck the pig's head on a pike you know like as an offering to the beast yeah as an offering to the beast and that imagery too when uh when simon was talking to the pig and how it was like the flies enveloping it and how the flies would like move off and then come back on and it was almost like that was part of what was causing him to have that hallucination was seeing all that imagery um you guys you know what pareidolia is no no okay so pareidolia is where if somebody shows you a piece of toast and says hey jesus is on this toast and then you look at the toast and you see how it could look like Jesus. And then no matter what, every time you look at that toast, that's all you can see. You can't get rid of that image. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so like that's that's kind of what happened with the parachute and the, the man. You know, they saw this beast and then in their heads it became that thing. And so no matter what, that's what they saw up until Simon got close enough for the image to change. Mm. And when he was watching the the flies on the on the um 
on the pig's okay. head. I feel like it was the fact that the flies were moving around is what made, gave him the idea that the pig was talking, like its mouth was moving and it was talking to him. You know, mm. it was this our brains want to see a pattern that's simple and and make it make sense. And that's what was happening with him there, along with malnutrition, dehydration, and everything else that was causing him to have hallucinations at that point. I also think he might have just, you know, uh, this isn't like how to say it, but he cracked. He was on this island and he just, it, he, he, his brain broke. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so he's going to see things that are not real, that are crazy. Um, you know, unlike a smoke monster, which is probably what actually was the beast, because they probably were on that island. Yeah. <laughs> the island of lost. <laughs> There's a lot of similarities, man. <laughs> they they got shits from eating fruit. Hurley got shits from eating fruit. <laughs> There's a big smoke monster. There's a parachute monster. That, I really appreciated that about this book that they talked about the diarrhea because, you know, we've read a number of survival stories and uh, uh, they always seem to skip over that part. But it definitely would happen to you if you're drinking from fresh streams and if you're eating fruit all the time. Yeah, right. they don't mention where the water comes from. So I was like, eh, I'm just assuming that there's a fresh stream there. Somewhere. Right. I mean, uh, I it could just be water that came up through the ground because, uh, again, not to... It talks about filling coconuts with water. Yep. So maybe some of that was the actual coconut water. And then but... the lazy people that wouldn't go and refill them. <laughs> right. And then weren't they like going to the bathroom right near the camp too? And they got yelled. They were yelling about that because kids were just pooping everywhere. And yeah. It was like, it, we basically, can't... they tried to have a society, but nobody would adhere to the rules of said society. And so society broke down. And you know what? Again, so like here it is. These are kids and they were doing that, right? I don't mean to take it back to Naked and Afraid again, but I remember a Naked and Afraid where this guy gets up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and he's like, did you go to the bathroom right outside the shelter? You know, like, because she had gotten up and she didn't want to walk off into the woods a little bit where they were using their latrine and she just went like right outside the shelter and he almost stepped in it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, to me... It is very believable that these kids could go down this road. This is not in this is not a road that would be impossible for them to have gotten into. I just don't see anybody killing. It that's such a crazy stretch. That's the only that's the part that I find unbelievable is that these kids got so into so much bloodlust that they found the need to kill. I mean, that, that's how the story ends. They're chasing a boy through the forest to kill him. Over what? Dude, when I was 13 or 14 years old, I got chased by a group of kids from school that I had gotten in trouble because I told on them for something. And I fully believe that had they caught me, they would have, if not beaten me until I needed to be hospitalized, tried to kill me. So I do believe that this could happen. Those kids got in big fucking trouble too. This was down in Howell. So like I get where you're coming from, but I think you're looking at it through a lens of Josh and you're not looking at it through a lens of there are kids out there who are, or maybe not so much today, but I know they have to be. You say that, but then what do we have here in America that we don't have anywhere else in the world more than anything? fucking school shootings where teenage kids are 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 killing people 
you know? And do you think that an 18-year-old just came up with the thought to do that the day that they did it? Or do you think they've been thinking about it for the past five or six years? It depends because they've shown that both happen. But yeah, it doesn't happen in other countries. Maybe it's not the kids. Maybe it's something else. (laughs) Violence violence. involved in this situation. Violence Easy access does to happen. firearms, perhaps. But violence does happen in other Not countries. Heads left on pikes as offerings to to, to uh, non to the to dark island one. gods. It doesn't yeah. happen in the same way. Yes, access to firearms yeah, makes it easier I, I just, to do the killing. I, I You're right. With that, I, I, I disagree don't think with kids me all you want. Inherently evil, mind you. I, didn't I don't say like they were. Them. They scare me. You don't. <laughs> you don't have any. <laughs> Yeah, there's a reason, Andy. <laughs> these kids, these kids were not inherently evil. They were not inherently not. evil. They they grew to a point, and I don't even like the word evil, by the way. Evil is a nonsense word that people use to describe action, okay? Evil is not some paranormal thing that reaps inside a person's brain. They They simply went from a point of civilized people to no structure, no one telling them that what they were doing was wrong or giving them responsibility for anything. And eventually, after teaching themselves how to kill and slicing a pig's throat in, in, I mean, like that's how Jack killed his first pig. They stabbed it, and then Jack finished it off by slicing its throat, okay? Now, in a hunting situation where you would go out with your dad or an uncle or an adult and you'd learn how to hunt, and maybe that's, I've heard of that as being a way to finish off a deer so it doesn't suffer, okay? So, Mm -hmm. but you would be taught that by somebody who's like, okay, we want to make sure it's not suffering and so we're going to do this and, you know, it's not something to be cheering about while we're doing it, yada, yada, yada. But these are kids, and they just accomplish this thing, and they're cheering, and they're they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. So they're getting a bunch of positive reinforcement while blood is spraying all over their faces because they're slitting a pig's throat. Okay, they're killing and, for the thrill of it, and they start killing for the thrill of killing. And it doesn't, it wouldn't take long in my mind for them to start to switch that to the other people. They already, piggy, for instance, is already less than human to them. They don't even give, let call him or ask him or care to know his real name. So he's already less than human to them. And that's to everybody on the island, including Ralph, right from the get, okay? It just gets worse from there. So no, I don't think that the kids are inherently evil, but could I see them spiraling down into this situation with everything they're going through, you know, months on this island and... <laughs> Not knowing what's happening and the the irritation with other people. I mean, I know that if I'm in a group of people for long enough, I get irritated with people. Not to the point where I'm going to kill them, but I get irritated with them. Now, take away all your comforts. Now, take away the fact that there's no one around telling you that you have to do anything. So, everybody just does whatever the hell they want. You know, and, you know, some people... You say that, but think about it. Like Jeffrey Dahmer killed kittens and splayed out their guts when he was a kid. Who's to say that Roger isn't that type of kid? That's true. He could have been. He could have been like that. You know. Yeah. So this is this is the the capacity of human nature. I mean, it's not good or evil or whatever, but it is just something that's within. Uh, 
it's within our means to, if we, in the lack of having an authority figure to tell us no or having negative consequences for doing it, we could potentially grow into someone who kills for the thrill of it, uh, who just lives only to uh, to be murdersome uh, psychopaths or to make others of the the people who are telling us no and put them on the chopping block. Right. I mean, what got these kids here in the first place is a world war where adults are killing each other as an other. Yeah, they you dropped know? a bomb. They mentioned bomb. nukes too, didn't they? Yeah, they, they dropped a bomb in, in the UK, a nuclear bomb in the UK. Yeah, this, so this is not like the actual World War II. It's a hypothetical right. uh, World War, war III. that's happening. Yeah, Pre- yeah, because yeah, they like never war call III. it World War II. They never say it's World War II. Yeah, they're evacuating children from England. Yeah. yeah. And some kids went out to their uncle's house and learned about a really ornate uh, lamppost in the woods. <laughs> and other kids went to an island and killed each other. Oh my God! Do you think Lord of the Flies exists in the same universe as Land of Witch in the Wardrobe? This I hope so. is a fascinating B side. <laughs> That's the, the hey, we found it. That's the B story. We found the B story. The same universe as Chronicles of Narnia. All right. Maybe we can run this through our minds uh, a little bit more and talk about the uh, the ramifications in our talk episode <laughs> <laughs> next time. Absolutely. But yeah, these. Um, I was gonna say these kids heard the call of the wild. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you better beware the snowman. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, that doesn't work. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no good. Okay. And don't forget about the uh, story redacted due to legal purposes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, in my opinion, fuck that book. I did not like it. I wouldn't say fuck this book. I mean, it is extremely well written. Um, I don't have fun reading it, though. I think it's we don't have a, <laughs> I, we don't have anyone to cheer for. There's no one that we like, in my opinion. There's no one to like in this book. The only person I kind of liked was Simon. So yeah, he was maybe the most reasonable out of everybody, and he went insane. Him or or maybe Sam and Eric, and that's two people. <laughs> <laughs> Sam and Eric were just followers. They just yeah, they're just good followers. <laughs> I absolutely love this book. I think that it, you know, for me, it's. It's a rare occurrence where I'm reading a book that isn't the most action-packed. It's more of a psychological story. Mm. And I really enjoyed that dive into human nature from the perspective of children. Uh, mm-hmm. I I didn't... Yeah, it wasn't like it was like, oh, I'm having fun reading this or I'm excited about you know what comes next and yada yada because I was actually I'm terrified of what comes next for these kids. Uh, and I just felt right. like for me, the imagery and the way he writes and the way that I guess that would be my, that would be what it is for me. The gripe with Tolkien and C.S. Lewis is more the fact that they put so much effort into describing the setting and the scenery and what's going on around them. And then it's just conversation and they don't, 
they don't really get into i love how golding is describing the setting he's describing the scenery he's describing the actions and how the scene is actually part of the action it's part it's a character in itself the island is one of the characters in this story and mm. it really to me everything feels alive and it feels realistic it feels like it could these things could happen and i i don't know i really enjoy this book yeah, no, I kind of see what you're getting at. Like the distinction is like authors like Tolkien write about things like the way that they are, and it's very obvious what they're saying. Even though the, it's like fantastical beings, like races that don't exist or whatever, he writes about things as they are. But William Golding in in the, the writing in this, it's very he uses a lot of metaphor, a lot of words to describe like how it feels to see what what's being described. Yes. And that probably, I don't know, tickles your fancy a lot better. I would say that's true because I would agree with you that he does a lot. He has a lot of descriptive writing in this book. And that is the thing where we've kind of gone back and forth. You don't understand why I don't like description. And I think it's less about whether or not I like description and more about how tactile that description is and what it is doing for me and how it, why it matters. What's the context of why I need to know about how this forest looks or, you know, like here's your setting. And then the kids walk through and they talk to somebody and then there's a lot of conversation going on, you know, and that's all well and good. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even say, you know, I was able to read those books, uh, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And it wasn't like, I was like, Oh, I can't even read this. I just, you know, but mm -hmm. this one, for some reason, I, I, you know, I just, I really enjoyed that about this book. Yeah. There's a lot of discomfort involved in reading a story like this, mm -hmm. particularly this story. Uh, the the soldier at the very end who, sh who shows up on the beach uh, looks away from, you know, as the boys are realizing what's become of them and everything, because he doesn't want to face what's, what these young British lads have... Uh, have fallen to in his, from his perspective. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like the feeling that the reader is supposed to have on like how far human, like how far human nature is capable of descending into this kind of bloodlust, uh, anarchy, uh, type of, a of a society, especially in the, in the shadow of a situation where it recently did descend into madness and wholesale slaughter and inhumanity and everything. So it's, to me, the book is less about would kids do this in this, in this scenario and more like how does what happened to these kids reflect how we view our fellow man and what they're capable of. And I think that's what elevated this book to the status that it has and why William Golding got a fucking Nobel Prize for <laughs> literature and how one of 12 books he's written is like one of the all-time classics. I believe it's still used in schools today. Uh, and, you know, I think even that with that soldier at the end, there's kind of a juxtaposition there. He's he's saying to these kids, oh, were you playing war? Oh, I thought a bunch of British lads would hold themselves to a higher standard than this. This is a soldier who's literally taking part in a war where he is part of 
a group of people who are killing another group of people. And he's saying, you kids shouldn't have gone here. You kids shouldn't yeah. be acting like this. You know? Yeah, because the English are the best at everything. <laughs> that's what I said that's in the book. Not- that's, that's not the juxtaposition. The <laughs> yeah, that's not the juxtaposition I'm looking at. What I'm looking at is the fact that somebody who's involved in killing other humans is like, man, you kids shouldn't be sitting here killing other humans. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's it's, not it's, a joke. Cells get so divided. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. This is a this is a hard one to joke about. Honestly, I mean, it's it's there's a reason it's a literary classic. And it's hard to make. I've, I've tried to think of jokes about it, but then you had to go and mention the whole like what he did when he was fifteen. Shit at the beginning, hey, and, you know that really I'm set a dark tone what, for the rest of the book. I'm just telling what happened. <laughs> but talking about uplifting things that happened in real life. So in 1965, six boys decided to get away from their Catholic school by stealing a boat, and they ended up on an island for 15 months. None of them nice. got killed. They oh, actually wow. developed a system for collecting rainwater as well as, uh, see here, they got fish. They set up a, a garden, hollowed out tree trunks to store rainwater, a gymnasium with curious weights, <laughs> a badminton court, chicken pens, <laughs> and a wow. permanent fire, all from handiwork and old mm. knife blade and determination. And there's mm. actually a picture of the kids all together on back together when they were older. How and, old were these kids when this happened? Uh, 16 to 13. So a little bit okay. older than Lord of the Flies. And obviously a much smaller group. And they were from the same right. school. so they And they also planned this, obviously. They had an idea in their head and they went with No, it. they went to get away for a day uh, just to get out of school for a day. And they wound, and they wound up stranded. And they wound up stranded because they fell asleep okay. on the boat, woke up, and it, there's a storm. And they're out in the middle huh. of the ocean. Okay. Also, there's six of them. Yeah, they're there's a all, lot less. And te- technically, they're uh, according to the this book, they're all biggins, and they have no little ins to take care of. Yeah, or they don't have to divide anything amongst a whole lot of mouths. Right. Yeah, I how was... roughly roughly how many uh, boys were were on this island in Lord of the Flies? I mean, just the choir group itself was larger than six kids. Yeah. And so then you had a bunch of little ins and you had more big ins that they didn't even mention all of the kids' names. So I'd say there was probably yeah. a good 20, 30. 15 to 20 or, or possibly 20 up 20 to 30 at the beginning and then maybe whittled down over time just because. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Closer to 20. I have a 20. feeling a lot of little ins died that we don't know about. Yeah. Probably. I think a lot of little ins died in that fire. Not just the kid yes. with a mark on his face. Yep. And maybe mm. just died from exposure because they were out in the woods and right. didn't find their way and they were little kids. You know what I yeah. mean? Diarrhea themselves to death. Right. Because they never really kept account on how many little ones there were. So, yeah. You know, I mean, even like at the end, they say two or three kids died. Like they say that like two or three kids died. But that's just the ones they know of that died. <laughs> It's the ones they were involved in. Right. Simon, Piggy, and the kid, kid with, the, with mark. the mulberry birthmark. Yep. That's not even a name. No. <laughs> almost Ralph. He almost didn't have Ralph a name. Too. Yeah, Ralph almost bit the dust as well. Yeah. You know, and even like when he was learning where he learned like Sam and Eric, sure, they were trying to save him and stuff like that, but then they get a little bit of torture and they gave him up real quick. Yeah. Because again, they're kids. <laughs> Kids have a shorter leap to reach that state of uh, 
of darkness. Right, right. Madness. <laughs> they need a they need they need an adult. That's the theme of this book. I need an adult. Kids need adults. And adults <laughs> aren't always so great either. I think that's the other theme of the book. Uh, yeah, adults ain't so great. Yep. <laughs> themselves. Yeah, I can honestly say I watched uh I watched the South Park parody of this because it makes me laugh. <laughs> this does not mm-hmm. this did not make me laugh. <laughs> it wasn't supposed oh. to make you laugh. No, it wasn't. <laughs> It's not a comedy. Butterflies <laughs> is not a comedy. <laughs> I feel like this is a point where I'm sitting on the side where we were reading Lion, the Witch of the Wardrobe, and you guys were all irritated with me. And I'm like, Josh, <laughs> what did you not get about this book? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly right. Now you, now you get it. <laughs> yeah. I think next chapter we're going to get into much lighter fare. Oh, for sure. So. For sure. We're going to so, yeah. youngin up the reading material. <laughs> yep. I yep. knew going into this uh, survival chapter that there was a really good chance that, at least uh, speaking for myself, I'd get a little burned out on survival tales and just like the nature of reading about someone trying to survive and not die is in itself a little bit of a, a little chore. dark, a little a little mature. Yes, that's mm-hmm. uh, a far cry from you know kids trying to survive being chased by a monster and goosebumps or something. And you know, Hatchet, I feel like Hatchet was easier to have fun with than, for instance, like this book. It just There's not a lot of comedy to be had for this book because it's very... There's no lightness mm-hmm. to it whatsoever. No, it's... it's and I, it's not supposed to be either, you know, so no it's, levity. it makes sense, you know. I mean, even like the thing that some piece of shit might find funny, the teasing of the the heavy boy, you know, that's not funny at all. Like right from the get. I, I, I when I was getting ready to write the summary tonight, I was like, shit, I can't remember what Piggy's name was because I wanted to make sure to call him by his name. I didn't want to be calling him Piggy the whole time. And I go back, and you don't even get the option. No, the, he never says his name. Well, they never, they never say that he says his they name. Ne- yeah, they never right. asked, and he never told them. He never volunteered it. He just yeah. said, "I don't want to be called Piggy." And if you're but, so uh, smart, why would you tell anyone? Because he's a kid. No, he- <laughs> even even when I was a kid, dude, I was he's- a fat kid with glasses. I know better I'm than not- that. I would I'm not never sure he's say even that smart. Yeah, he's not really, really that have smart. A reputation just, of being that smart. He's he just, just reasonable. An asthmatic fat kid with glasses. Right. Yeah, but he, he, just was, was, about, he just wants it more like society. He wants to go back to society. Yeah, I, I just think he was just more reasonable. He was using more logic like, hey, guys, we can't survive like this. We need to, you know, we got to do these right. things. Where he was a very civilized and coddled kid. He lived with his aunt, and his aunt had a sweet shop, and he got to eat all the sweets that he wanted, and that's what made him so fat. And he wanted to get back to that, so he wanted to do what it took to, first of all, preserve that kind of civilization, and secondly, get back to it by agreeing with Ralph that... uh, I don't know if he agreed with Ralph or gave him the idea to uh, make a signal fire and keep it going. He, I, I believe that he was the one who came up with the idea for the signal fire, and he also said they needed shelters. Yeah, he, he was an idea man, but he didn't yeah. have any power whatsoever. So he told Ralph trying to get trying to get he used his little bit of power to get these things in motion, and they just didn't pan uh-huh. out. He gave <laughs> he gave his power away immediately. Again with Ralph, he saw Ralph, and he was like, okay. 
I'm going to trust this kid. I'm going to think this kid's going to be nice to me. And so he gave his power away by saying they called me piggy. And then boom, he was piggy and all of his power left at that moment. You know, it. Mm. Yeah, he should. I would never would have. Been, I wouldn't have done that. I would have been like, yep, this is my name. I would not have ever said anything other than that because I I just. Yeah, kids are assholes. Great. So I know they pick up on that. So, but I think you're also, and no, I, I probably wouldn't give somebody the name that they could call me. I say that, but then I've told people before, like people be like, Oh, what's your name? I'm like Harold. And then they're like, Oh, Harold. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yep. Just don't call me Harry. Okay. I do say that to people because I don't like being called Harry. And what does that inevitably do all the fucking time? That immediately gives them a, a power chip. Yeah. That just a little nugget of knowledge saying knowing that you don't like being called Harry. Well, yep. if I want to get to this guy, that's what I'll I call know him. what to do. Yep. Yeah. And it's luckily I'm old enough now that I don't I don't care and I'm just like, I'll give you no power for that. You know what I mean? I'll give you no reaction to it. But as children, it doesn't matter. Once he gave that name, he lost all of his power that he could have had. His ideas might have been good and they might have not. But as soon as he was piggy, not only is he already a fat asthmatic kid who's whining all the time. Now he's got a nickname that they can give him that degrades him even further. So, right. yeah. And he puts uh, way too much faith in the conch and in the, Ralph. In the authority of the conch and Ralph, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, realistically, Ralph didn't give a shit about any of that stuff. Ralph was more worried about himself and how it was all going to work out for him. Or he was more worried about, I'm the only one building the shelters. No one else is doing it. I'm the, you know, I'm trying mm-hmm. to do this. I called a group meeting. I did this. I have the conch. You know, and it just, yeah. It, yeah. I love how you keep switching between uh, saying conch and conch. Yeah. I, I can't <laughs> ever decide which one it is. I don't think anybody knows. No. Nope. I, always, I always think of it as a conch shell. So that's why, that's why I use both. I'm like, I'll just use both. and I'm consistent conch. Yes. Yes. Chesha CH. I like to keep people guessing. <laughs> What's he going to say next? Conch, conch, Coon. cock. <laughs> yep. The cock shell. I have the cock. I have the cock. But I have the cock. I get to speak. Shut up, piggy. We all got cocks. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a, is this a dildo. I have the cock. <laughs> <laughs> Sucks to your cock. <laughs> This was in the one adult's suitcase that we found. <laughs> it's a oh, steampunk right. dildo. <laughs> steampunk dildo. So, yeah, we got the talk episode coming up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where we're going to be. One of the things we'll be talking about is the movie adaptations of all the stories that we've uh, that we've read this chapter. Uh, Lord of the Flies got two American films uh, directly based off of them. One was made in 63, the other uh, more recently in 1990. I'm fairly mm-hmm. sure I saw the old one in school after we w- read the book. Yeah, it might, have, it might have been the older one, but whichever one that I watched, the only thing I remember of that movie was watching the fucking prop rock bounce off of piggy (laughs) the quite obvious styrofoam rock (laughs) bouncing when it hit him i'm pretty sure i've seen the one that was made in like 1990 because i know it was first off it was in color and it i remember it being more like modern looking to me right Uh, like i seem to remember piggy being a blonde haired kid short blonde hair and he had those big like 
uh, those type of glasses that have like the double bridge on the nose. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, we should definitely watch that. Well, it's on YouTube, so. <laughs> I can't believe I can't believe that neither Josh or I have mentioned at this point uh, a very very fun movie called Welcome to the Jungle starring Jean Claude oh, Van Damme because we forgot about it. Yeah, yes. I didn't. I've been thinking about it this whole time. I watched that on your recommendation, guys. Yep. There is a scene where uh, Jean Claude Van Damme is like a survivalist, and he takes this uh, group of uh, of office workers to an island to uh, teach them. Teamwork. It's a team building exercise. Yeah, it's a team building exercise, yeah. and he starts he starts describing very clearly Lord of the Flies, and he's like <laughs> he's very clearly describing Lord of the Flies, and he's like, and you know what story that is? And someone raised their hand. He goes, "That's right, Pinocchio." <laughs> <laughs> and then you think about it, you're like, "Oh my yeah, god, that is true. That is <laughs> exactly what happens in, in Pinocchio." Yeah. <laughs> so. I'll have to look up that scene. Hopefully, it's on YouTube. We can post it on our Reddit. There yeah, we go. It's it's a. I don't think I could find it. I had to use other means to find it. So I thought that movie was fantastic because then oh, uh, yeah. Jean Claude Van Damme ends up being a completely useless idiot. He, he fights a tiger. <laughs> he fights a tiger. He gets carried around in a wheelbarrow for a time. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we'll watch that too. We'll tell yeah. you more about that movie because it's actually funny. <laughs> yep. Oh man, we've got some movies to watch. We do, and the Cab Krusty episode of uh, <laughs> Simpsons. <laughs> no, the uh, the one where they get uh, they actually get stranded on an island and they're like hunting a pig and. Somebody oh. eats the contents of their cooler and they have a, a trial <laughs> and everything. I think that's a more direct adaptation of Lord of the Flies. Isn't that something like, I think you were talking about it where they, they were on the school bus and it goes off the bridge and they somehow get on an island? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've mentioned it in a previous episode. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'll have to look, up, look that one up. So yeah, we're going to watch a bunch of stuff and discuss it on our next episode. I know this one was a barrel of laugh, folks. <laughs> yeah, we had fun with it. We even we got tried. So we did our best. Yeah, we, pretty, we no, did. We, we got pretty good We're gonna. We analyzed it quite well. I feel. I feel like we analyzed it well, and I. I this is just a story that I clearly I loved, and I really, as I was thinking about talking about it tonight, I'm like, man, I want to mention this, and even I, I picked an excerpt from the book because I was like, <laughs> oh my god, this part, you know. <laughs> yeah, I even gained esteem for it in in discussing it after the fact. So yay. Nice. <laughs> Still not one that I'd like pick up and read over and over again, but you know, good book. Yeah, I'm probably never gonna read it again. <laughs> <laughs> now, do we re would we recommend who would we, who would we recommend it to? I mean, I would recommend this book just to anybody who is interested in how easily our what we think is our nature, our societal proclivities how somebody would like to see how easily that can all go away or to think again, like I'm thinking from the mind of a child while I'm reading this book, because I think of my, you know, my kids and how they make their choices and their decisions. And they very clearly need me there to be like, yeah, it'd be great if we could do it like that all the time, but we can't, <laughs> you know? So I don't know. I, 
I definitely feel it's good if they're still if they're still having people read this in high school. I think that's a good thing. I know that if they're not having kids read it in high school, I'll definitely read it with my kids at some point. Like I would I would read it and let them read it. Obviously not anytime soon. Hmm. Bruce is eight and mm-hmm. Clark is mm-hmm. six. But you know, when they're teenagers, I would definitely if they got assigned this book, I'd be like, Oh, I'll read it with you. I'll read it again. And we could talk about it. Because I you know, yeah. Right. I think this is appropriate for like people who are absolutely serious readers. I think being in a, uh, even in the advanced English class that I was in in high school, I still didn't, looking back, I don't think I was ready for this writing style. And maybe it was good to uh, have had the ideas and kind of narrative structures and whatnot uh, planted in my younger mind. But um, looking back on how much I retained back then, as opposed to how I am reading it now that I'm almost 40, I don't believe that I was ready for it at 16, 17. Hmm. I know that, I mean, again, when we were getting ready to read this, I was excited because I remembered the book quite well. Uh, like I say, I, I forgot that Simon died. And like you're saying, I may not even have realized that Simon died because it even has a point where it's like the, an air bubble comes out when he's on the. So it's like, oh, well, he survived. He's just really badly hurt. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, But I remember really liking it back then, too. And so I think it's. Yeah. But again, and I know I say this all the time, but I was already reading adult fiction at that point all the time. You know, that was what I'd been reading for a few years. So by the time I read this book, it wasn't it wasn't new territory for me, I guess. Sure. Yeah. My stuff that I was reading was not nearly as heady as this stuff or as this one. So, yeah, you were probably more used to that that kind of thing. Yep. But yeah, so I think we're ready to wrap this one up. But you sure are. Harold, well, we've been <laughs> yeah, trying, we've been, I, I know, like, no, no, we've no, been we're ending good. this we're for the last 20 minutes. Yes, we're from the Midwest. This is what happens. How do we, how do we segue this to the end? Yeah, we, it's, it's hard to segue goodbye. to the end. It's good. So, but Harold, do you remember your tagline? I don't remember my tagline. Bob's your uncle. That's reliterated. There you go. So you don't have to steal mine again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give my tagline. Give a shit, read some lit. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. This has been Reliterated, a production of the Chocolate Milk Friends and part of the 989 Podcast Network. If you enjoy our show, please consider giving us support by subscribing, recommending us to your book-reading, podcast-listening, 90s nostalgic friends, and most importantly rating and reviewing us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible Podcasts, and Spotify. Did I mention we really want some Spotify ratings right now? Your ratings and reviews go a long way towards getting us in the ears of new listeners. You're also invited to join the growing Reliterated community on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. And if you really want to get nuts, we have a Discord too. So bing us and join us in this nonsense. If you have a book suggestion for a future episode or have questions for us, send us an email at reliterated at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.